Good morning. It is nice to see all of you today. We've got a couple announcements that we want to highlight before we continue. Uh, if you've not gotten a copy of the bulletin, please do so as you uh, exit because there will be... Um, there we go. There'll be a number of announcements that will be important. We have a special announcement, uh, informative announcement about the kids joining us in our assemblies beginning in January. And so uh, our children's minister, Julie Bergman, has written a number of things that will be helpful for all of us as we consider uh, what that would look like for us as a church family. Uh, next Sunday evening at 6 p.m., we will be celebrating the birth of Jesus as uh, our society kind of recognizes it. And so we will have this Christmas celebration. We'll have some singing. We'll have some snacks and we'll have a specific uh, craft that we'll do. Last year, we made a little angel for our Christmas trees. And uh, this year, we'll be focusing on something different in that story. And so uh, we invite all of you to uh, make it a point to come. Make sure you bring some of your special, fav- most favoritist uh, goodies and, uh, uh, and, and bring them to share with one another. The church will provide the drinks. And uh, still looking for someone to volunteer for Wassel. So um, if, if you're interested, see David after. Uh, then we're going to have our New Year celebration, which actually Wednesday falls on New Year's Day. So uh, stay up late at night, sleep in, watch a game or two, and then make your way on up here. Uh, we're going to have a, a movie out on the field, and um, uh, there'll be hamburgers and some treats and a wonderful time. A couple other announcements inside the bulletin that you'll want to look at is our uh, annual Kids Not Cards. Every year we invite our members to forego uh, sending out uh, the cost of sending out um, Christmas cards and give that money to uh, Christian Homes for Children. And uh, so today is the last day to do that. And then there's also a a thank you note from Bob and Barbara Perkins uh, that you'll want to read, a very, very touching and meaningful note that that you will want to read. Um, This is the time of year where expectations run really, really high. Um, it's not just at this time of year, but at this time of year, it kind of comes together. Uh, I don't know if you've seen some of these types of slides where you have expectation versus reality. Um, this is the Great Wall of China. And, and the expectation is that you'll get there and just be able to stroll along all by yourself, nice and quiet. You can do some Zen uh, meditation and stuff right there on the, on the, on the, on the wall. Well, the reality is it's, it's full of people, and a lot of them are, are, are Chinese. Go figure. But um, uh, it, it's not quite what, what you might have expected. I don't know if you've done any Christmas baking. <laughs> See, this is what we don't... The ones on the right side of it, we don't want you to... Br- we want you to bring the ones on the left for our uh, Christmas celebration. You know, it looks so good in the magazine, right? And, and then the reality is a little bit different. Or maybe you've tried to do Elmo... See, uh, you, you read the instructions and it sounds like it's going to be perfect and you end up with something just a little bit different. And then something a little more close to home at this time of year. I don't know if you've ever tried to make a snowman. They're actually quite difficult, especially to get it perfectly round and then the shapes and the, the carrot nose and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, a- expectations um, run high and reality sometimes disappoints. Uh, yesterday, a number of our children sat on Santa's lap at the uh, young family's um, uh, breakfast with Santa. And uh, these were some of their expectations that came from their list. Um, there was the elf on the shelf. 
don't even know what that is, didn't exist, wasn't born yet when, when we had Christmas. And so um, uh, I, I think it's some little doll or something. I don't know what you do with it. I guess you put it on a shelf, right? Um, I, I'm assuming it looks like an elf and you put it on the shelf. Uh, uh, other kids wanted a phone, wanted a car, hopefully not like a real, a real car, but maybe just a toy car, a train set, skateboard, TV, a castle. Again, I, I think we're thinking of a, of a scaled down, a Barbie dream house. Uh, someone wanted a drone. <laughs> uh, have to be careful with that and the privacy laws and all that kind of stuff. Uh, in the hands of a child, it might be dangerous. And then Lion Guard toys. I had, didn't even know what this was. I have grandchildren, but I still don't know what this is. I had to look online, and then I said, oh, yeah, it's those things. I don't know who it was. The, the, the individuals making the list for me, compiling the list, didn't want to tell me. But there was one adult that evidently communicated that what they were wishing for was $100,000. Um, high expectations, right? Yeah. Uh, and, and we would say something like, keep on dreaming. Um, if you listen to the Spanish radio station, 107.5, it's called Amor. Um, they have this program that they run during Christmas time, leading up to Christmas, where they'll have a gentleman kind of with a deep voice pretending to be Santa Claus, and kids can call in before they go to school. Well, they've done that for a couple of years, and, and evidently there have been some problems because now before they run that little segment, they have a disclaimer. And the disclaimer runs something like this. The radio station in no way is going to pay for any of these gifts for your kids. This is just an entertainment thing for you to call in, but please do not communicate to your children that they are going to receive the gifts that they tell Santa about. And you can just kind of take a couple steps back and see how that happened, right? Kid calls Santa on the phone. Oh, I'm going to get all... And then, no, it doesn't happen. <laughs> great expectations sometimes are met with great deception and disappointment. Well, what was the greatest disappointment that you might have experienced? Maybe it was some product that you had read a great review about and you got it and it just didn't work like it was supposed to. Might have been an article of clothing that you had to send back. Might have been a gift you received that just really wasn't what you wanted. And immediately you're thinking, I'm either going to take this back, I'm going to drop it off at Goodwill, or I'm going to re-gift it at next year's Christmas party. Maybe your disappointment is in a relationship with a spouse, a child, a parent, some other family member. It's possible even at this time of year that expectations and reality hit hard when it comes to God. Disappointment in him or Jesus or the church. You know, the people of Israel lived with this expectation that God was going to dig them out of this hole that they found themselves in. They had this expectation that God was going to bring a deliverer. There had been 400 years of silence while they were in oppression as the Roman Empire kept on growing and growing. And their hope was that this Messiah would come and free them from Roman oppression. That this Messiah would call down fire from heaven to punish those that were abusing God's people. That like Moses brought down the plagues on Pharaoh, that God would bring plagues on the Romans. But when God did get around to sending a deliverer, he sent a crying, squalling baby. 
Don't believe the Silent Night song that says, No sound did Jesus make. He cried. And he squealed. And he was unhappy when his diaper needed changing or when he was hungry. And no one believed that this was the Messiah. In fact, that's why there's so much confusion about his date of birth, because no one wrote it down. No one said, on this day was born the Messiah, the Savior, the Deliverer, not only of Israel, the whole world. There were no expectations that Jesus would become the Messiah. But then after 30 years of ministry, and Jesus is preaching and begins to... Well, he's before he begins preaching, John the Baptist comes along and says, I know who this is. In fact, I've been sent to prepare the way for him. And he says, I'm here as the prophet, but after me is going to come someone who's so much greater than me that I shouldn't. I'm not even worthy of tying his shoelaces or his sandals. And when he comes, he's going to separate the wheat from the chaff. And the wheat will be saved and the chaff will be thrown into the fire. And what John might have thought was the wheat was Israel, the faithful remnant. And God will save those and the chaff, these horrible, nasty Romans, are going to send to the fire. When John saw Jesus for the first time, he said, This is the Lamb of God who will take away the sins of the world. And then Jesus comes and is baptized by John himself. And John was present. When the heavens opened up and the spirit descended and the voice proclaimed that this is my beloved son. If there was anyone who knew who Jesus was, it should have been John the Baptist, which makes our text for today even the more puzzling. Because John is going to ask a question about Jesus's identity that it's just difficult to understand. You can follow along on the screen or in your Bible, on your phone, Matthew chapter 11, verses 2 through 11. John the Baptist, who was in prison, heard about all the things the Messiah was doing. So he sent his disciples to ask Jesus, are you the Messiah we've been expecting? Or should we keep on looking for someone else? Now, prisons in the first century were quite a bit different than prisons today. Uh, There were prisons were kind of like rest areas or holding cells to determine one of three directions that you might go. You might be exonerated. You might be freed. You might be exiled and sent to a desert island somewhere to die. Or you might be executed. But while you were waiting, people could come and go. They could visit you. They could talk to you. And so John, while he was in prison, had heard about all the things the Messiah was doing. Now, what kinds of things do you think he might have heard? Well, Jesus was healing people. He was preaching to people. He was casting out demons. But evidently, there was something about what Jesus was doing that didn't jive with John something that Jesus wasn't doing that John expected him to do. And so he sends his disciples to ask Jesus face to face, 
Are you the Messiah? We've been expecting the Messiah. Are you him? And then he adds this question, or should we keep looking for someone else? Now, if you're Jesus and you are the Messiah, how would you take this question? Especially coming from someone like John, a cousin. says, John, you know me. You were there. You heard. You saw. But Jesus simply lists the things that he's been doing, the things that John has heard about. Go back and tell John what you have heard and seen, that the blind see, the lame walk, those with leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised to life, and the good news is being preached to the poor. Now, we've lived with this text long enough that this makes perfect sense to us. To John, it didn't. Because whatever this list was about, it didn't hit the things that John was looking for. Because he knew all these things. He had heard all these things. This is what everybody was talking about. So evidently, John's expectations included something like bust up the Romans, <laughs> gather up an army, liberate God's people. Oh, and while you're at it, get me out of jail. But Jesus wasn't doing any of those things. In fact, Jesus would never get John out of jail. Jesus would never bail him out. Jesus would not do anything to prevent John's death. And so we don't know how John goes to his death. But at least at this particular moment, he's thinking, I guess Jesus isn't it. I guess Jesus isn't it. But Jesus affirms his own identity. And then he goes on to tell the people around about John. He talks about John. First he says in verse 6, God blesses those who do not fall away because of me and because of my preaching. And John, as the disciples were leaving, Jesus began talking about John to the crowds. What kind of man did you go into the wilderness to see? Was he a weak reed swayed by every breath of wind? Or were you expecting to see a man dressed in expensive clothes? No, people with expensive clothes live in palaces, and John lived out in the desert. Were you looking for a prophet? Yes, but he is so much more than a prophet. John is the man to whom the scriptures refer when they say, Look, I am sending my messenger ahead of you, and he will prepare your way before you. From Isaiah chapter 40. I tell you the truth. Of all who have ever lived... Think about all that would be included in that line. All who have ever lived. David, Solomon, all the greats. None is greater than John the Baptist. Yet, even the least person in the kingdom of heaven is greater than John. I think... John had an expectation that he'd picked up from his culture. And that was that God will meet our needs, whatever those might be. We have a need. 
All we have to do is express it. We name it and claim it, and God will do it. And Jesus' response doesn't really strike him as the correct answer. Because, you see, John would have thought, like most of the Jews of the day, that when God sends his liberator, he's going to deal with the, the, the guys up top. He'll go to the temple. He'll work out a deal with the, the high priest. He'll figure out some sort of curriculum that we can develop so that we can teach about who Jesus really is and what he came to do. If he was going to minister to anybody, he would minister to the strong, faithful ones that have stuck with God all these years. And Jesus does exactly the opposite. When he goes to the temple, it's just to worship. It's not to have an instructive conversation. When Jesus begins to minister, he ministers to those who are on the outskirts of society, the suffering, the powerless, the weak, those that didn't have anything. And John is looking for validation that Jesus is the powerful Messiah with a capital M that comes from God. And Jesus shows up as a baby and begins to work with the least of these, not the most of these. Of all the things that Jesus listed, there's only one that's not prophesied in Scripture, and that's the lepers, healing the lepers. All the others are are outlined in the book of Isaiah. But, but, you know, thinking about that expectation and the reality kind of makes me think about us as Jesus' followers. And think about the way we've answered the question, are you the true church? Are you the real church? You know, when they went to Jesus and say, are you the real Messiah? He answered, well, I'm helping the poor. I'm helping the sick. I'm helping those who have been abused and oppressed, and I'm standing up for them. That's my answer. And when people would come to us and say, are you the real church? We would tend to answer by saying, well, look at what we do on Sunday. What we don't do and what our religious practices are. We would return with some sort of theological answer. Jesus could have given a theological answer. But rather, he chose to highlight what was important for the Messiah. And if we are the Messiah's people and the Messiah's followers, then when someone asks us, are you really the church, rather than talking about whether we use instruments or not and the frequency of the Lord's Supper and all of the other things that we're known for, we would say we're helping people who are hurting. We're collecting money for the Bahamas. We've got a project to help young ladies in Africa go through life with some dignity, to engage in life. We're trying to make a difference in the lives of the least of our community. Any person that comes to that door and rings the bell gets food. doesn't matter what they look like doesn't matter what their story is. They don't need to invent this really, really fabulous story. They will get a bag of food. And I think those are the things that Jesus indicates sets him apart as the Messiah, and those would be the kind of things that would set us apart as a church that is following after the Messiah. Have we achieved it? 
Have we done it? (laughs) Not by a long shot. We've got a long way to go. But I think we're learning and we're walking in that path. Towards the end of the text, Jesus, I think, affirms John in a way that I can't even imagine. There is no one who has ever been born that is greater than John. Can can you imagine Jesus saying that about you? There is no one who has ever been born greater than you. And that's exactly what he says. Even you who feel like you're the smallest little bit in the church because of your contributions or your lack of contributions or what you're able to do and what you're not able to do, even the least of you is greater than John, who is the greatest of all the people who had ever lived. I think part of what Jesus is doing is affirming John in the midst of his doubts. Jesus doesn't criticize. He doesn't blast. He doesn't come down on John. He affirms John as the greatest person who ever lived. It's not a sin to be disappointed in God. It's not a sin to be frustrated with what God does or doesn't do. It's not a sin to doubt whether he's really doing his job and whether he really is our God and Messiah. But the second thing that Jesus points out is that John wasn't there. John had to get into the kingdom. And I think what Jesus is saying is that John needed to become a disciple and set aside his false and high expectations to accept the true, authentic, and real Jesus. And I think he's calling us to do the same. Most of us, when we came to Christ, we came with a certain expectation of what God was going to do and what he was going to do, who he was. And what we find is that this baby Jesus, who then becomes our risen Lord, doesn't meet our expectations because it's not about meeting my needs or meeting what I want. We pray for a quick and painless deliverance, and he calls us to walk the way of the cross. We want him to come with power so, and set us up in positions of power so that we can dominate society and we can be all that. And he points us to the suffering servant who became the servant of all. We expect him to start with us because we're the good ones, we're the saved, we're the faithful. And and it scares me to the core of my being to think that if Jesus were to come today, he might not even go to one of our churches. That you'd find him out with others. If we want this church in the coming year to truly be God's church. It means changing our expectations and our perspective of God and following the example set by the Savior. Is the church the answer to the world, to the problems of the world? Jesus is. 
And the challenge for us is to find how we can also be that answer. I read about a youth group, not ours, <laughs> clarify. There was a, a teen in, in a youth group, and the teen was sharing with her class, I'm praying for Jesus to come and solve my problems, to fix what's wrong with me and to fix what's wrong with my world, and to bring me those things that I most need. The not-too-sensitive youth minister <laughs> responded, you're not waiting for Jesus Christ. You're waiting for Santa Claus. At some point, our expectations have to meet the reality of Scripture. Who Jesus is and what he came to do. And we run the risk of falling into the trap that the Israelites fell into. Assuming that everything is for our benefit. And the reality is everything is for God's benefit and his plan. And we can choose to follow him where he leads, the song says, we will follow. I don't know what you need to do in your life today to get your expectations in line. It might be to set aside some sin, to confess something that's going on, to ask for help. You might need to be baptized so that you can communicate that I recognize I'm not in charge of my life anymore. I give it up and I turn it over to God. You, might not just, you just might need to pray where you're standing. But whatever your needs are and however we can help, we would love to do so. Let's stand and sing. Number 742.